Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Owen O'Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Owen Arher, who has been looking after the entertainment band bookings and promo at Cypress Avenue and the Old Oak in the city centre since 2003. It's been just over a year since my last proper show girl band at Cypress Avenue. I'm presuming it was the last show for a lot of people in Cork. That was 7th of March 2020. I don't even need to look it up. It's seared into my brain. Maybe it'll be there for the rest of my life. The last proper gig. Hopefully we'll have proper gigs again. But I wanted to talk about how the last year has been for someone whose livelihood is booking gigs and putting on bands and going to shows. What it's been like for them. So Cypress Avenue had a big refurbishment at the end of 2018. We talk about all that, all that was involved in that. We talk about the last year and how the venue has been quiet. There's been no ring out of guitars. And we also talk about this lockdown project that Owen has been working on over the past little while. Cypress got a bit of a revamp and he's worked on the archive there as well. So if you click into the archive on the website, you can see all of the gigs that have taken place in Cypress Avenue and the Old Oak going back all the way to August 19th, 2003, when a band called Nolig Casey and Artie McGlynn played for 10 euro. I don't remember them, uh, but you'll know one of the names that's one, two, three, four, five, sixth on the list, Snow Patrol, 3rd of October, 2003. We talk about that. We talk about some of the other big names who are much smaller names back then when they played in the venue and the changing tastes of people. Owen's very interesting talking about the shift to DJs rather than live bands now. We go through some of our favourite shows that have taken place there over the years. We could have talked for ages and ages about this. I moved to Cork for UCC in 2006 so I've been trying to figure out what would have been the first show that I went to Cypress Avenue for. I can't quite put my finger on it. I can't quite remember. My memory is bad enough, but it's being jogged a little bit. Seeing the likes of Fred playing on September 23rd, 2006. Director, remember them playing 2006, 25th of September. Aslan wasn't at that. So I think it, it's around then anyway. Maybe maybe it'll come to me eventually. So we kind of talk about all of the changes that Cork and the Irish music scene has really seen over the years. We talk about Fight Like Apes, who are a band I really, really associate with the venue. And we talk about when gigs might be coming back. Cypress Avenue have been working on shows. They're hoping to get things back up and running maybe in September. Fingers crossed that we will see a return to live gigs uh, eventually. This is episode 199 of the TPOE podcast. Can you believe it? About five years, I think. So episode 200, hopefully coming next week. Thanks for listening to the show over the years, if you have been. And if not, I hope you enjoy this chat with Owen Her from Cypress Avenue. So it's been a year since we all went to gigs the last time. I think a lot of people's... Uh, in Cork, their final show will have been Girl Band at Cypress Avenue. First, can you believe that it's been a year without gigs? I mean, I can't believe that it's been a year for me because, you know, it's it's just part of part of who I am. So I presume that you're in a, in a similar boat as well. That Like, oh, my God, what's happening? Yeah, it's been totally crazy. I mean, like even now I'm kind of talking to bands and stuff and I keep on mentioning dates as being 2020. because like 2020 didn't happen for us. So, um. Is trying to get yourself in that mindset and go, okay, it's actually 2021 this year. It's been a full year now. 
And and can you remember what it was like back then? I don't know if you even want to take yourself back to like those couple of weeks in March, but it seemed like it might have only been a couple of weeks that venues were going to be closed, gigs were going to be shut down, and then obviously it just extended from there. Like, can you take yourself back? Do you want to even think about it? Yeah, um, I think the the first kind of time we started to get worried about it was from the end of February with a show with Alex Borstein. And uh, just kind of like uh, should voiceovers for the Lois and Family Guy, and she's on the Mar- Marvelous Mrs. Mabel, I think, on Amazon. And we were kind of getting paranoid because we knew kind of Italy was bad and Spain was bad. I know the act was flying from Barcelona. We were going, oh my God, everyone keep your distance, <laughs> you know, but they're trying to be rude on it. But um, yeah, and then I think the following week we had. Uh, I think it was a show with The Calling or A Liar or something around, around when the first case in Ireland got uh, diagnosed or confirmed. And then after that, for me personally, it was a blur because I got sick with COVID around the 5th, 6th of March. So I didn't even get to go to Girl Band. <laughs> I was literally out myself, my wife and kids were all at home on a couch just going, you okay? What's your temperature now? <laughs> Do we need to go to hospital? <laughs> you know, so... Um, and then everything kind of the shit hit the fan the following week. I think it was the 11th. And so Watchy from afar was supposed to happen. And it was just, I think the World Health Organization had that day confirmed that it as being a global pandemic and said, okay, look, this is what's going to happen. So the Asians on the phone, right? We don't think this is a good idea to come down. We're going, yes, you're probably right, you know? And that was kind of it. But I mean, I was kind of the first wave. Um, I was pretty much on the, the couch at home dealing with reschedules while in a fever <laughs> just going yeah sure yeah june this will all be gone by then cool okay let's do that um and i actually we actually had taken on someone to help me out because with the expansion of the venue and trying to get winter avenue a smaller room to come on stream as well we need another person so i'd like given him like four days training and then suddenly he's on his own uh, in the office trying to deal with this as well you know so um it was kind of rough. And then, of course, everyone knows two weeks later on the 26th, everything was shut down. And apart from streaming events, that's been it. Yeah, I, d- I didn't realize you had you had uh, COVID so early on. Um, you must have seen the this is this is uh, real folks. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, you've better be careful out there. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was nuts because it was so early days. I mean, it was kind of alarm bells for us that we all got it so fast and that we were on to we, There was no testing at that time unless you actually came back from a foreign country or were in direct contact with a confirmed case. Um, so they were literally, it took like a week or so just before we could even get tested on it. But in the meantime, uh, our both GPs were going, yeah, look, you've got it. You've had a fever of 39 degrees for 11 days. It's probably safe to say it's not the flu, <laughs> you know? So, but yeah, it, it was kind of wild. And, and to hear all the kind of, kind of the, uh, the non-believers out there saying it's not a thing. It's like, no, no, it's very real. <laughs> yeah. So so I guess that you did get your first extended time off in like 15 or 20 years as well. You just, uh, you that, like a lot of people thinking back now a year on, you know, looking back on the first lockdown, I don't think anybody is really reminiscing about it, but they're just thinking like how they use the time. And it, it was kind of nice initially, wasn't it? Just to like not have to do anything. Yeah, that's it. It was like you kind of got to sit down and go, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll go down memory lane a bit. We'll throw up some videos, you know, from 
you know, bootleg audio from when Snow Patrol played back in 2003, or, oh, we just came across a Dermot Kennedy video from the venue, let's chuck that up there as well. That was fine, but that kind of wore off. So then you just kind of start potting around the house and going, right, so these first year schedules aren't going to happen. I'm going to go build a shed. <laughs> just to get away from it totally, you know? Or like, to be fair, but we've probably been one of the lucky ones in terms of when the first lockdown got lifted, it's quite apparent my job doesn't didn't really exist. Um, still doesn't to an extent, uh, apart from kind of just checking out emails and stuff like that currently. But um, I had kind of background in kitchens, so it was a case of right, what else can you do? So I kind of went into the old oak and I took over the kitchen side of things uh, in July. So there's been a few months working it, which which has been good. And then the streams, then in between, have taken focus off things. But now it's lockdown three so the focus is very much on we're hoping this is the last one we're hoping these are the last three schedules we have to do let's just plow on now so we've got a lot of shows in so there's there's lots of announcements to come in the next couple of weeks and months can you give us kind of an insight into what it's like to try and book gigs at the moment without giving too much uh information away like um i mean are you booking gigs but knowing like booking gigs for say September or October, but knowing that, uh, you know, we're booking a backup date as well. I mean, like, do you, I mean, you can't say when gigs are actually going to return. Can you? Like no, nobody no, no, can. We're totally, we're, we're totally kind of relying on our, our wing of a prayer because we're checking in with each other going, right. What do you think? What do you think? You think this is a good period? Let's try for here. Um, so we actually just announced a show this morning for Soda Blonde. Uh, for September uh, with Patrick Alden tour. There's optimism that September might be a thing, but nobody knows. And that's the, the harsh reality of things. So, but obviously if things need to be moved, then we have another date as a backup. And it's like that for quite a few. Um, but I think everyone's kind of aiming kind of, they're hoping September, October time, even more optimistic for things to go back to normal. But even at that, I mean, we've been wrong about three or four times before everyone, you know. So, yeah, we're, we're just kind of keeping fingers and toes crossed and seeing, hoping they can happen. Have you seen some of the UK shows that have been announced, some of the UK festivals that have been announced? Like, there, there's been a couple on Twitter and it's just like old times, you know. It's like 50 names on a festival lineup and, you know, they're planning on like 10, 50,000. I mean, Reading, Le- Reading and Leeds are saying that they're going to go ahead as normal at the end of August. I just can't imagine being in a field, let alone inside in a venue <laughs> or a tent or something with like 80,000 other people. Like, could could you imagine that at the moment? Uh, it's It's sickening, isn't it? <laughs> I'm just jealous. Um, <laughs> I, I suppose the, the difference is, I suppose that the UK government have come out and said 25th of June, everything's open, no social distancing. Whether that comes to pass or not, or gets delayed, again, nobody knows. It depends on vaccinations, but at least they've got a date in sight. Um, they can try to plan ahead for that. I mean, I think Reading and Leeds have sold out. I know Creamfields, so, which is like 70,000 people per day, sold out in three hours. So the demand is insane for shows at the moment. I mean, I could probably book myself playing spoons and sell out Cyprus at this stage. You know, but we won't do that. We won't do that. But, you know, but it, it's a thing that could actually, it's, the demand is crazy. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm 
desperate for shows to return but obviously you know when it's safe to do so and and when it's enjoyable to do so as well um so so fingers crossed that it is later in the year how have you found uh the live streams that you've been doing um like i've, I've consumed a lot of them over the past year it's been surprising how well they've taken off how well bands have taken to them as well is it uh, a little bit of stress from the venue point of view from the streaming side of things or is it um, is it just nice to actually be there and be able to see what's happening and see live music i suppose it's been nice to have a break from it joe it's like okay there's actually lights on in the room there's a, there's a smoke machine on you know just even getting that smell <laughs> you know from from a, from a smoke machine it's like okay this 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 will do for now but I think in long term, it's you need people in a room again. Um, I don't think the streaming mo- model is viable long term because you've got like too many issues with geolocation. Um, Joe, if an act books a tour and you want to do a stream, Joe, that might take ticket sales away from other cities. So it it, it become complicated that way. And at the end of the day, you want people in the room seeing the band live. You, you don't want people sitting at home going, you know what, it's raining tonight. I'll just pay fiber to see girl band streaming from Cypress Avenue as opposed to actually going in, getting the experience, you know, having beer in hand, going through the support act, discovering them, that they're really good. You can find out about them for the next time they come to court and then get to see a full show where it's totally different every single time. Whereas a live stream, there's, it's a bit too polished in, in some respects. But it was definitely good to do. But personally, for me, I'm just like, get, get me back in a room again with people. <laughs> you know, enough of this isolation nonsense. <laughs> um, but you've used your time wisely and well during lockdown. I don't know how long it took you, but you've put together a Cypress Avenue archive stretching back from August 19th, 2003 is the first gig up there. Where did the idea come from? Was it something that you had bubbling for years that you wanted to put this together Boarding. and you finally had the time? <laughs> Uh, yeah, complete boredom. Um, I'm actually just, just looking at it here now, just got open in front of me. But yeah, so like we, we changed the, the website, got a long needed overhaul, along with the venue <laughs> about two years ago. So um, so we had kind of an idea, it was like, okay, look, we'll do a gig archive, but we just never got around to it because we were too busy. Like I think in 20, 2019, there was something like, Oh gosh, I think it was about 260 shows, something like that. Wow. That was on. Um, so again, just trying trying to even consider doing that was just not possible, you know. Just looking at the figures here, 261 shows in 2019, which is nuts, you know. So 2019 was just a blur considering the venue was just brand new and you were trying to make tweaks and improvements as well on the fly. But then 2020 came and they went, hey, okay, we've got time in our hands. Will I do it now? No, not yet. <laughs> so lockdown one look let's just get through these things let's let's try to reschedule and, and have a bit of downtime but lockdown three comes it's winter you're bored you, you can't go out you know the walks you went on in lockdown one they're not happening now realistically you know you've got a box of chocolates from christmas <laughs> you're sitting down and eating those so um yeah so I, I think i started i think the first week of january so it took the gut to two months now, some of the stuff we were able to populate and import from People's Republic of Cork because they power our website. So we were able to get some stuff inside from there. But um, a lot of them was just going back through old hard drives going, OK, do I have this gig poster from 2004? <laughs> you know, so 
how bad were my Photoshop skills back then? <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, it's been good to go through them as well, and it's it, it kind of yeah, it gives a good reflection of the venue over the years too, because it's even when you look at the different shows throughout the years, it's evolved from being, let's say, a singer songwriter rock band to you can see where the changes of influence come in. We'll say just in, in, from the public point of view, your know, electronic music started becoming more kind of prevalent. Um, which is what, which is reflective of what's going on out there at the moment as well, you know. So um, I would say now we're probably around maybe 70s, 30 in terms of live acts versus DJ based things, which would have been like DJs would have been a non-entity back in the day. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't think I didn't even that that didn't even cross my mind that that you're able to kind of uh, visualize that the the kind of the change in tastes of people. Yeah, it's and it, it it was very much oh I don't want to say daytime radio back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> there were two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and stuff like that. But then you kind of hit two thousand and ten, two thousand eleven, and you start going kind of more left field, like Swans and Midlake and Antlers and all these and Wild Beasts and all these different acts that, that come in. And then you had your Dallas Axe and Scrubius Pips, and then you're into your more DJ bases from there. You know, so it's been been kind of a strange evolution just to kind of watch unfold in that two months when you're do, doing the archive yeah um what what do you remember about those early shows back in 2003 nulla casey and arty mcglynn was the first show that you have listed on the archive yeah. they're not names that uh i recognize i don't know if you remember much about the show it must have just been like giddy excitement at starting up yeah um i would have just been kind of starting the office i i would have been in Previously, I, I'd worked in, with the Old Oak since 2002. It was August 2002, so it was about a year prior. And I kind of kind of split my time between some bar work, but a lot of DJ work and some security work um, going back then. So I'd only kind of started in the office room. And so these shows would have been happening as I, as I was coming into that side of things. So like I remember the turn in Snow Patrol shows. And the D four, but I don't remember the first three. Oh, okay, okay. So I was like, okay, yeah, there was still stuff happening there, but it didn't. It, it just didn't, didn't kind of come back to me, you know. Well, we can talk about that Snow Patrol gig if you want. I always remember seeing the poster on the walk up the stairs, like, and just thinking, like, two thousand three. They played there in two thousand three. It was a couple of years before that performance at Glastonbury, you know, where they did run and they just suddenly became one of the biggest bands in the world. But what was the Snow Patrol gig at Cypress Avenue like? Was was it the kind of cliche it was like two, ma- two men and their dog or did people know who they no, were back then? No, it was a complete sellout. Um, really? So it was actually, I think Run came out about two months after this. Um, and the Final Straw album came out later in 2004. Um, but yeah, so it was just one of these things that kind of, just landed in our laps. Obviously, a new venue starting out, you don't know if you're going to get something like that. So maybe, maybe there was other venues not available at the time. <laughs> Who knows, you know? Um, but it just kind of worked out in our favor. Um, but yeah, it was absolutely wedge, and it was five euros, which was which was crazy. If you look, if you think of it now, you know. Um, so yeah, it was it was good. I mean, there were good spirits. Um, there's actually on YouTube, there's actually someone has. Uh, basically a bootleg audio from the show they've got about six or seven tracks uh from the show on it which is a which was kind of a surprise to find during the first lockdown um and yeah the, the guys were like back then like they were kind of your regular kind of working band they all had full-time jobs um 
you know, so this was like a party to them. It was like they were just starting to break out. Um, you know, I remember them messing with mannequins in the band room and stuff like that. They <laughs> were just kind of weird flashbacks that way. But yeah, it was um, a fantastic show. But you, you could definitely tell there was there was something going to happen with them. But we didn't know that when we booked it. <laughs> you know, so because they, they'd been around for a few years. They'd done, I think they'd done Henry's and they did a couple other venues in the city before that. So. And they hadn't broken through. So we just kind of happened to be the ones where, where they kind of were on that rise towards stardom, you know. What were venues like in Cork back then? And how was Cork? Because it was it's kind of that in-between time, isn't it? It's kind of like Henry's is just about shutting down in 2003, 2004, isn't it? It's before my uh, time in the city. So I'm not too familiar with what, what things were like. Yeah, Henry's would have shut down, oh, I think it was around 2000, around 2000, I think. Was, oh, okay, um, and it, it kind of changed then to the bakery, which is kind of like a short-lived pub slash club. But the main venue is 2003. Uh, there would have been the Half Moon, which would have been around four or 500 cap at the time. And over the years, kind of capacity got clipped back with the way they changed it up and stuff. Um, you've had the Lobby and you would have had the Christine Lawn, uh, which would have been the three main places in the city to go. So, yeah, but we kind of came on the scene it was very, very much different to now. I mean, you know, in terms of artist facilities, lighting, sound, everything else was so different. You know, it was just there were speakers where they go. Yeah, <laughs> that was a that was that was a kind of it. You know, I mean, the obvious thing was always it was always a nice room to go watch a gig in. Uh, it was intimate. You'd kind of the windows outside looking over the river. But I suppose not too dissimilar from the roundy uh, in terms of that kind of layout. The half moon was kind of the, the black box where most shows would happen at the time from your international acts. And Christian Lawn uh, would have been kind of very kind of rock and metal focused, but they did kind of diversify into other areas as well. You know, people that was popular, but it was one of those layouts where there was lots of pillars in the room. So sight lines mightn't have been the best, so stuff like that. So when Cypress came on, you know, it just started just snowballing and taking over because it was one, it was the new place to go because every, every venue has that period where when they start off, it's the new shiny thing. <laughs> Let's flock to that, you know. But luckily over the years, people stuck with it. John was good at now. But the thing about Cyprus was even back in 2003, it was only ever envisaged that that venue was temporary because there was always the plan to get into the, the building next to it. But we were kind of refused planning several times over a staircase that was in that building. And then recession hits. So then you can't even, even if you wanted to, you couldn't, <laughs> you know, around 2008, 2009. So um, it took, I think we were talking about going into to the 115 venue on the corner of Caroline Street since around 2005. Wow. So it only took, it only took about 13 years to actually get in there, you know. So um, there was probably a period towards, oh, maybe kind of, 2013 to 2015, 2016-ish, where the old venue started just to look a little bit jaded in terms of, yeah, look, we, we know we need to upgrade things and we did what we could, but we were still, you were still limited with the space that was there. Um, but then that all kind of changed, obviously, in 2017, at the end of 2017, when we finally got planning permission um, after a long, drawn-out saga. <laughs> You, you put that venue um, to good use, though, 115. Like, that was where you had all of the gig posters in the windows, wasn't it? Yeah, that was it. And you, you'd have uh, 
fighting over rubble going in there because the, the building was essentially, it was a restaurant uh, called Valparaiso's, I think since something like the 70s. Um, but they only had ever used the ground floor and part of the first floor. So the other floors were derelict. So if you actually went into that building and you went up on the first floor and looked into the where the problem room was, where the staircase that had a preservation order on it was, one, it was falling to bits. And two, there was a tree growing in the staircase up through a hole in the roof. <laughs> you know, as you're going, why? Why won't you let us do something with this building? <laughs> you know, so. And was that it? It's just the staircase. It's kind of an insurance thing, isn't it? If it was in a good condition, it would have been a nice staircase. Um, it's If you think of a spiral staircase, but it hugs all four corners of a room. So it goes up one wall, turns, goes up the next wall and just goes up. So, but the problem is the staircase started right behind the old stage. So you couldn't go in there without removing the staircase, which was uh, the bone of contention. I was like, well, the venue is falling apart. The, sorry, not the venue, but that building is falling apart. You need to let us in there and let us do something with it. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, so after many years, uh, our boss, he, he managed to get it done and, she got city council on board and we were able to do it. So what we had to do in the end was we couldn't knock the outside of the building because obviously that was the building itself would have been the first post office in the city centre back in the day. And it would have been, um, it would have been a Siemens missions, I think as well, going back along. But obviously any evidence of that was long gone at that point. So we, what we had to do then, it was we were allowed to kind of gut the interior, but keep the facade on the outside. So we essentially built a building within a building. So it was a steel superstructure pinned onto the old outside building then just to keep everything, keep everything kind of looking as 1800s as possible. And, and like you, you were still putting on gigs while you were doing the building in, uh, it, was, it was 2018, was it? Yeah, uh, it was nuts. Um, That's probably the busiest you've been, so is it? Like 2018? Yeah, uh, like there was, I remember, oh, what show was it? I think Camel Fat played a show. Um, myself and one of the managers were, we could, obviously it's pounding house act that's on. And myself and one of the managers were actually inside in the other, in, basically in the new venue, building the stage at like 2 a.m. in the morning, you know? So um, so the, the, literally that that's kind of the level of involvement where it was like, you know, we, we built the stage ourselves as well. <laughs> that was there. And the, the last show in the venue was, was a metal show uh, in December. I think it was December 13th, 2018. Um, the show finished about 11. And band had cleared out and crowd had cleared out by 12. And then literally there was seven of us with saber saws sawing apart the old stage. The back, the ball behind the stage for two months prior was literally a plastic bag <laughs> with a curtain over it. So literally, we'd kind of taken down kind of any kind of you know, the plastic bags and any kind of wood wooden sheets that we had, just blocking the venue from it. Worked through the night. We got it. Oh, I think we were finished at about maybe seven a.m. Um, and then we had bands in for sound checks since three p.m. the following day. So there was no there was no shutdown time. This was literally the show over. Get the venue up and running now, <laughs> and uh, 
be open for the next day. So the, the first show in the venue was the Blizzards, and then we had a dance show after the same night, but with um with Sam Divine. And it's been it's been nonstop from there. It's been no looking back, you know. Yeah, I remember going in there for the first uh, time. It was um, uh, the 23rd. I, I have the archive up in front of me. You're just remembering all of these gigs from memory, which is very <laughs> impressive. I, I have it open in front of me. It was the Altered Hours um, and a load of other bands that were that were playing. It was a uh, gig for charity, um, if I remember correctly. But I remember just walking in and just being blown away by what you had done with the place. And like instantly I was thinking like it's one of the best venues in the country. So kudos on what you were able yeah, to sure. achieve. It's- no, it's, it's it's been it's it's been funny watching bands come in like you know, punters come in and uh, they're shocked because it's like well where's the stage and they're looking way further down the room and it's totally different to them but from from a band's point of view i just remember people coming in going oh my god <laughs> is that when you said you're doing up the venue this is a different venue <laughs> you know um so that's been great i mean production has been ridiculously higher at higher level as well you know so it, it ranks up there i think our, our lighting engineer said we've got the most moving heads in the country but sorry uh in sorry in monster um so like there's there's no other venue has that many which is crazy to think considering where we came from you with 12 park hands over a stage <laughs> No, I, I keep thinking like a, a band plays there and no matter what the size, they kind of look like, you know, one of the biggest bands in the world just because of, you know, they're up at that certain angle. If you're close to them, they just look great. I remember seeing Pillow Queens there. I think it was for Music Cork um, probably the following year yes. in 2019. And I just thought, oh, man, they look incredible. And their their rise has just been uh, unstoppable ever since. So I kind of I kind of uh, just remember seeing them at that moment and just thinking like, oh, they're they're just going to go up and up and up. Yeah, definitely. Um, but it, it's been good to kind of see that, you know, I mean, we're, we're, we're still, like, even though it's a bigger venue now, we, we can do different layouts inside. So you can make a show work with about 120 people, uh, depending on how you lay out the room. But now we can kind of partition the room as well. So it can be, so we're, with shows going forward, now we can look at kind of 250, 300 cap, or we can do 500 cap. And then we've got an 80 cap room downstairs as part of the Oak as well. Uh, which we're using now as kind of your, your starting point on acts. So we've got like people like Sprints and stuff in there later on this year. Um, because we're very conscious of, okay, well, what if you can't do 120, 150 tickets yet? You know, so it, and so the, the options were trying to go off and rent venues or else go, okay, we keep it in-house because then we can give staff hours, we can keep our engineers you know, taking over with extra hours as well. So. So that's what we did. So now we we can cater from anything from eighty people up to five hundred. Great. That kind of trajectory of a band is so important, and it's one that I kind of think about when I think about Fight Like Apes, who I really really associate with uh, Cypress Avenue. Um, they played five times in two thousand and seven when they had just released yeah. their, or I think they released their debut album uh, in the middle of that run. But they were a band who. Uh, maybe they didn't sell out their first show but then suddenly like it was rammed for all of the rest i just remember those gigs were raucous i don't know if they if they hold a special place for you as well particularly that year like yeah definitely um i'm just looking into 2020 2007 was actually our busiest year ever it was 295 shows um so mo- most of them are blurs at this point because I, I just don't know how we managed to promote that many shows because it was literally going okay how many shows have we got tonight? Keep it going. Um, but yeah, Fight Like Apes was 
uh, I think the first show it was a double bill with Cork Band called Exit Street. Um, it would have been Drop D, working kind of like an e-zine back in the day. And we used to do monthly showcases still in association with them. But just the energy that Fight Like Apes had was insane. And you know, I think word just spread. You know, it was like, this is a special band. You, know, you, you need to go check these guys out. I remember May Kay, like stage diving and like being dropped and breaking her toe <laughs> at one show. And it's crazy stuff like that. But again, word spreads go like, oh my God, did you see what happened at the last show? Come back to the next one. So Fight Like Apes would use things like that, almost like a marketing tool. <laughs> you know, it was like, have we seen what, how, how crazy your last show was? Come to our next one. But yeah, so it was, I think the first, so that was the first one. I think the second one we might have did in the Old Oak on a Monday night, because back then that was kind of our, our teething ground. Um, so like the Riptide movement would have had like a, a residency. Uh, the Coronas would have done their first shows on Monday nights in the Oak. I remember seeing the Coronas there on a Monday night in the Old Oak. Yeah, that, that could have been it. That could have yeah. been that show. Um, I don't so, know yeah, if I would have predicted uh, their, their their rise from there, but uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, so it was just one of those things we have to change. We have to kind of get people in and trying to break that, try to break a new band at the beginning. That's the thing. So it was like, okay, free shows on a Monday night. Nowadays, it's probably less accepted because people's attitudes to music has changed. They're they're probably checking up before on Spotify and. They're making a decision based on that. Whereas, yo, know, back then you go, okay, well, Monday nights in the Oak is normally pretty good. Let's go check that out. You might not be familiar with the band, but you'd go because a couple of bands you've seen before have it all been, all been good. So you might go. Um, so the days of kind of taking a chance, they're a bit less now. Yeah. The Blizzards did a Monday night as well. Am I right in remembering yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, they did a Monday Oak. night. Yeah, I think we did one Monday and then we did like a late show, I think, on uh, a Saturday night, a couple of months later. Um, at the beginning, we knew they were good and unsure how they would do. So we were like, look, we'll give you a late show. We don't know how many people will go, but I think they did like 150 tickets. So at the end of the night, I turned around to the manager and was like, OK, I was wrong. <laughs> it's like, OK, you you. You drew 150 on a late show in your first attempt, <laughs> you know, so. But then there's, there's other shows that don't go according to plan at all that way. I mean, I think 2008, 2009, something like that. Um, uh, I'd met Mark, Marcus Mumford uh, with Laura Marley. Um, so they had, so Laura, Justin Glastonbury, and they showed up and we hadn't really gotten any kind of replies to emails about advancing shows. So. They showed up and going, hey, so do you have a support? <laughs> and Mar- Marcus went, I can do it. Um, wow. So he played a set and so we're talking. I was like, okay, geez, that was really good. You know, he said, yeah, I've got a band. And he gave me an EP. Um, so we just kind of exchanged contact details. And then within a week, I was like, geez, yeah, this, yeah, this, this could catch on. <laughs> you know, um, so they were going to be back in Ireland that October. Um, and again, it was just availability. It was around the jazz weekend. So it was like 11 p.m. on a Monday night of the jazz uh, in Cypress Avenue. Um, but only 40 people showed up to, to a free show to Mark Mumford and Sons. So um, I'm, I'm sure there's probably about 2,000 people claimed to have been there at this stage. But wow. <laughs> you know, it's 40 was the, was the figure. 
Wow. Are, are those are those kind of some of your favorite shows? It's it's almost like in hindsight that you're just like, I, I recognize those faces. Didn't they play in the venue a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I suppose at the beginning, you're kind of very, very conscious of, of, of stuff. And then as things got busier, it became harder to focus on, okay, we've, we've got 295 shows this year. I'm only actually going to make about 100 of them. You know, so um, so there's a bit of a blur um around that period, but like there are kind of standouts that you, from a nostalgia point of view, you always look back on. I remember the early Janus Akbar's Scrubby's Pip shows. I know we're still like in the first decade at this point, but like just the energy just been insane. So we we did one show sold out. Then there was another agent took them over and they went to the Pav on the second show, uh, which was kind of which was kind of a bit sore. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know wish they'd come back again but then they did come back next time and I remember them saying I'm in the path was lovely room and people had a lot of memories of, of the place but I remember that the band come back on stage then the following time going yeah look we know we went somewhere else last time around but we miss the energy that was in this room <laughs> and they played the venue another three times after that you know so it, it's nice to get that feedback as well it's like okay we might not be the shiniest new thing <laughs> going but People still appreciate it, you know. And any other shows that that jump to mind that you want to uh, delve into? Oh man, um, we could be here all day. Yeah, uh, that that's fine though. I'm happy to just think about all of the gigs <laughs> that were in the past, you know. Yeah, I mean, if, if you go forward a couple of years, I mean, you got likes of Wild Beasts with Villagers as the support. An unbelievable show. Um, I was down the front for for that gig. It's one of my favorite gigs ever. Yeah, and actually, it was one of the bands as well because in, in the years afterwards, they I think it was on Two FM or something like that. They were interviewed and they mentioned a couple of festivals that they played, but they also mentioned the Cypress Show as being one of the best shows ever. Wow! I'm like, man, that that's just crazy. Pigeon Detectives, first first time out, just again that whole Wait for Me album. Um, just really fond memories of that. Then you go into like the following years, you'll. I've always been a massive therapy fan, so every single time that they those guys come, it's always special. Uh you got swans, you've got like anytime villagers come play, it's just always it's just always amazing, no matter what venue we put them in. Um, it's a different show every single time, and it's just just like magic in a room. I I, I was still thinking just even like towards we'll say the end of the last run, I mean the Steel Panther show in Cypress Avenue where there was no such thing as social distancing. You know, it wasn't even a thought you know, a month prior to all this going down. You, know, you have 30 people on stage <laughs> you know, dancing along just to a solo show in a, in a band that normally do 2,000 cap venues. So there, there's been so many over the years, but I'm sure you've got a few. Um, one band that I wanted to to mention to you was Frightened Rabbit, who I remember seeing. I, d- I did a search on the archive, and it, it shows up about five uh, five gigs that Frightened Rabbit um, played in the venue, stretching back to two thousand and is it seven two thousand and eight? Let me just bring it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah May two thousand and seven. Um, yeah, another band that started in the old oak. What was it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So again, they would we kind of followed directly with them, where it was like free show in the oak a double headline with kid harpoon i think it was back in the day and then from there just kind of building headlines but you know such a great band and scott was just a gent um but so it just so sad kind of going going back and kind of re-listening to albums and listen to the lyrics of them going shit okay <laughs> you know, 
you know, maybe you know, we could have seen this coming, you know, so it just kind of shows you how important mental health is and not to ignore maybe warning signs, but like, um, yeah, every, every gig they played. Um, I think going to Kid Harpoon as the first paying show had only maybe 30 people. But then I think by the, by the so I'm just looking there, so six shows in total. Um, but yeah, by the yeah, by the fourth show, we were we were selling out the venue. You know, so and and again, every single time we saw the guys, it was so great. You know. Mm, yeah. No, it was so sad when he uh, died. Um, in twenty. 20- 18 like i haven't been able to go back and listen to uh, to their albums um just because it just makes me so sad but i do just remember those early couple of gigs just being so great they were such a great band but i guess it is important like you've kind of alluded to it a couple of times you know kind of bands following that trajectory you know starting small starting in say the old oak and building up i wonder like our bands almost kind of are they still following that trajectory do you think or is it more like when you're booking a show and again you know you don't have to give too much away but do you have to kind of look at the spotify streaming numbers or the views on youtube videos or anything like that are you still taking chances um, on younger acts or, or giving them their first show take chances i mean ultimately it comes down to your gut um because streaming figures can be totally manipulated i mean you can go on and you can get some acts and you go oh my oh my god they've got two thousand listeners in cork but then you go okay well a lot of it's coming from playlists. So there are maybe six playlists. I wonder if anyone listening to the playlist knows who the act actually are. Because it, I find myself, if I'm, if I'm out doing something and a playlist is on, I might need to listen to the track four or five times before I go, who is that? <laughs> you know? Um, so there's an element to that. Like you, you can have like the streaming farms in China for YouTube where literally there's about 200 phones you can just rack up your numbers on. So there, you, you got to take that with a pinch of salt, but you're kind of, you're still feeling it in your gut if there's a buzz about a band, if things you know, are starting to happen. Um, and I, I think that's kind of one thing of the years. I mean, looking at the academic, that we brought down, them down when they were still school kids, which was, which is, which is funny because they, they could only play on Wednesdays and Saturdays because um, they'd have to come out from Mullingar, do a support slot, and then drive back home. So after their sound check, you you go backstage and you find them doing their homework. <laughs> you know, so um, uh, Gavin James again, he's another one that would come down and do the fifty euro support slots. Um, and it took I think maybe about four times before we hear his own headline show. The first we brought him down was like with Nouvelle Vague. Then we brought him down with Lewis Watson, who's a UK singer songwriter. Um, and he supported Heather's as well another time. And again, then only after that did he get his first headline because he wasn't in a position where he could draw just yet. And now it's a case of, yeah, you could stick him in a marquee and sell out. Yeah, so so that's still really important. The support slots, the, you know, having to play to, you know, 50 people or something. It's still really important for a band's development, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it's 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 one of my bugbears when it comes to, I would say, uh, you get customers emailing, looking for stage times, or you get tweets online, and you go, no, I'm not going to tell you. So it's always one thing we actually refuse to do. We, do, we don't release stage times because you have to come in, you have to go, oh, geez, that band are good. Who are they? <laughs> and then find out more. If you just kind of show up at the time you're supposed to, then you've missed that whole experience. So I, I think it's a really important part of the process. 
you'd always like to be more people in the room. You know, because I think there is an element of, oh, well, if doors are at that time, I don't need to show up until like an hour or so later, I'll be fine. You know, so um, you, you would like you would like a packed house for for these supports, but you might only get maybe 30% of the audience. But if you get 50% of them interested, then you've got a base to build from. Um, I, I guess Villagers are probably one of the best support bands that I've seen when they played support to uh, Wild Beasts. And eventually that culminated in them doing two shows at Christmas uh, 2019. Um, uh, two shows at Cypress Avenue. Those were those were special gigs as well, weren't they? Yeah, they were, they were fantastic. Uh, again, it was, it was a band that would have been in the old when you'd come back going, oh my God. Um, but yeah, it was funny because I mean, like, Realistically, villagers are at a level where they can comfortably sell out an opera house. Um, but on that album run, so every single time villagers release an album, we'd always go, "Yeah, okay, we've got a Savoy, or we can get an Everyman, or an opera house show when they were when they're at that level, and they still are at that level." But for that particular album, anytime we went trying to get a venue, it was like we couldn't because it'd coincide with a summer play run that was happening in one of the theaters, or pant- it was panto season. You know, so I think that hit us both in 2019. So we did them in July because I can't remember did, did the operas of Annie on or something like that. So we couldn't do it there then. Oh right. <laughs> um, but and we had yeah the two hundreds in December. Then it was Panto season. So again, we're back in the same situation. But with the good thing was with the capacity right now, we can actually offer the same kind of fees. You know, so you can get so an actor can get an, a fee as if they were playing the opera house in a smaller room where people can stand and have a beer in their hand which is another again there's there's an energy can be lost sometimes at seated shows like that because i just remember even that twin it does 2019 show was connor doing trying to do uh was it last christmas um and the crowd trying to sing along serenading him or else correcting my lyrics when he messed up you know you, do, you don't get that kind of banter at seated theater shows because there's an expectation you got to sit in your seat be quiet you know, I mean, we we could talk about almost every show uh, that you have up on the archive, but people can check it out and, and go kind of look back at 2007, 2008, the good old days. But the, but hopefully we'll get those gigs back again. It's been great um, delving into the archives with you own and best luck. Hopefully uh, people will be back in the doors of Cypress Avenue in September, hopefully, and it'll be a regular thing from then. I'm crossing my fingers. Yeah, that's it. I mean, there's, there's lots of shows going up every couple of days now, new shows being announced. So uh, keep your eye on cypressavenue.ie and get your tickets and they will happen. <laughs> Maybe not on that particular date, but they will happen. Cool. Well, thanks for the chats. OK, thanks, Owen.